Good morning, God's wonderful people. Another great day, another time to give him thanks for his goodness, his love, and his mercy. Another day to sing high his praise and to make his praise glorious in this earth. Today is a day that you have to make God your praise upon your lips, upon the things you do, and by the things you get engaged in. We are supposed to praise God in every way. He created the trees and they praise him. They don't have lips to think. They don't have um, minds to think. But they do praise God. How do they do that? They do what God has created them to do. The only way you bring praise to God, the greatest way to bring praise to God, is to become who God created you to be. And God created you to become the praise of his glory. And as you begin to live the word of God, you are becoming God's praise, the praise of his glory. That is how you praise God, my friends, in being and doing what God has created you to do. And if you don't know that, you can always consult his word. He has written you a manual. Yes, a manual for you and how to live. So consult that manual and it will tell you what you're supposed to be. And then you can become the praise of his glory. The way in which we need to stand in the face of opposition is aptly described by a word the British use, steady. To illustrate this word's meaning, picture a British commander in the 19th century as he and his regiment are being approached by a horde of Bedouins, brandishing swords. As he awaits the battle, he reviews his past experiences in battle and his regiment's capabilities and, being confident of victory, also considers the future sense of accomplishment this experience will give him and so he remains steady as believers we should learn to rely on the testimony of god's past accomplishments his present work in our lives and his promise of ultimate victory and thus remain steady in the face of opposition the holy spirit my friends opens the chapter of Galatians chapter 5 with this statement stand fast therefore in the liberty with Christ hath made us free standing firm is what is required in the face of the works of the flesh stand firm in the spirit stand firm in your walk in the spirit stand firm in the fruits of the spirit we have been doing our study on Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 to 26 and today we want to do a review of where we are so far in our study and what we have been looking at recently. The conflicting works of the flesh. The book of Galatians is Paul's polemic against gospel perversion. It is said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 that all scripture is inspired by God. They are given by inspiration and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof and for correction and for instruction and therefore, we find that the epistles that Paul wrote seem to follow in along this line. In Romans, we see Paul give doctrine. And in Corinthians, we, we, we see that Paul basically is approving wrong practices. And in Galatians, we see him correcting wrong doctrine. So we could very well say that you must read Romans to be grounded in Christian doctrine. You must read Corinthians to be guided in Christian practices. And you must read Galatians to be guarded against deceptive error. My friends, as we go through this book, as we progress through, we see that the book, apart from the salutation and the postscript, has three main divisions. And these divisions are, in the first division, which speaks of the authenticity of the gospel. 
And that's a personal narrative. Then we have the superiority of the gospel, which is a doctrinal argument. Then we have the liberty of the gospel, which is practical application. So normally the books of Paul writings in the epistles normally breaks out into two. A doctrinal section and a practical section. Galatians has three sections. A personal narrative, a doctrinal argument, and a practical application. The chapter of our text fits into the third division, which is the true liberty of the gospel. The chapter divides into three sections. When you trace the indicative imperative structure, which you have talked about in this chapter, we find that it breaks into three parts. Now, this indicative imperative structure is central to Paul in ethics. In all his epistles, you'll see him utilize this particular structure. So this structure is central to his ethics. The indicative is what God has already done. And the imperative is what we must do. What we notice in particular is that when Paul gives these, these statements in this chapter, we find that the imperative portion of this structure is not a one statement. We find that it follows a negative positive pattern. So he gives the indicative and then for the imperative, he gives you a negative and a positive. So we see, we see this in, um, in verse 1 of chapter 5. Here we see Paul says, Stand fast therefore in the liberty with Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So here, the indicative here is that Christ has made us free. The imperatives are two. And the first one, which is the positive, he said, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. So stand fast in your liberty. And the negative, he says, do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. In verse 13 is where we find the second one. And there he says, for brethren, he have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. So the indicative there is for brethren, you have been called unto liberty. The positive imperative given there is one that says, but by love serve one another. The negative is use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh. The third one is given in verse 25. It says, if we live in the spirit, let us walk in the spirit. And so therefore, that's the third one given. Now, our text incorporates the last two, which is one in verse 13 and one in verse 25. Now, as we look at this text and analyze this text, we have identified several things about our text. We have analyzed and we have seen that the text that we are looking at, verse 13 to verse 26, the bulk of our text, the Holy Spirit spend that portion of the text expounding on the statement of verse 13. This right here, my friends, is a battle we must win. The battle we must win in order to win this war. And the battle here we must win is a battle between our flesh and, our, and, and walking in the spirit. Walking in the spirit as opposed to walking in the flesh. That's the battle we must wage and win. If you win this battle, you'll win this war. If you win the battle of your flesh rising up, wanting to take the forefront, 
if you win that battle against that flesh doing that and walking in the spirit after the rudiments of God's law and God's principles, you would have won the war against all evil. So we have been looking at this text and we have seen that the very core of the battle is this battle between the flesh and the spirit. In verse 16, which I think is central to this text, it says, This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We have been looking at the works of the flesh in this study and we have already looked at the sexual works of the flesh. And the sexual works of the flesh incorporates adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lasciviousness. The next group of works of the flesh that we looked at is a false worship works of the flesh, which incorporates idolatry and witchcraft. And the last set we've been looking at so far is the conflicting works of the flesh. And this incorporates hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, and strife. And in this, we have been looking at these the various conflicting works of the flesh. And we have looked at hatred. And we define that hatred is a state of enmity with someone. A state of enmity with someone. Whether it is manifested, revealed, or kept secret. That's hatred. It's a state of enmity. It's a state of fighting. A state of animosity against someone. Variance, my friends, is the next one. And it's variance is a conflict resulting from rivalry and discord. Rivalry and discord. We have already defined discord. We understand what rivalry is. Fightings. So it's conflict. Emulations is a particular strong feeling of resentment and jealousy against someone. A particularly strong feeling of resentment and jealousy against someone. Wrath, on the other hand, is a state of intense anger with the implication of passionate outbursts. So wrath is similar to anger, but we have to understand that wrath is a manifestation of anger. Wrath is anger manifested because anger is something that you may see or you may not see it. It might be held within. The person might be angry, but you don't know because you don't see it manifested. You might tell by their facial expression that they are somewhat angry, but the person may deny it. And so you don't know, but the person is holding anger within. But when a person has wrath, you can't miss it. Because wrath is the physical demonstration of anger. It's the manifestation of anger. And wrath is not always a manifestation of anger. Because when someone is grieving, sometimes they express wrath as a result of the grief. They might be grieving so hard that they become wrathful. All right, so we, we, we should be able to identify the difference. Strife is the next one we look at. And strife is a feeling of resentfulness based upon jealousy and implying rivalry and selfish ambition. Here, friends, a feeling of resentfulness based upon jealousy and implying rivalry. As you look at all these works of the flesh, you should be able to identify that all these words speak of conflict that's why I call them the conflicting works of the flesh. Because they all speak to conflict. Hatred, a state of enmity with someone. Variance is conflicting. Or conflict resulting from rivalry and discord. That's conflict. 
emulations, a, feel, a particular strong feeling of resentfulness and jealousy against someone. Conflict. Wrath is a state of intense anger with implication of passionate outburst. Conflict. Strife is a feeling of resentfulness based upon jealousy and implying rivalry. Conflict. Now, as we look at all these, my friends, I hope we understand that the word of God is here telling us that we should avoid conflicting with our brothers and our sisters. Any conflict whatsoever, no matter the source of that conflict, it may be coming from hatred. Get rid of it. If your conflict you're having with someone is, is coming from hatred, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Whether the hatred is on your part or on the part of the other person, get rid of it. If the conflict is arising out of variance, in other words, you vary in a particular stance and position on something, get rid of it. This is one that shouldn't be so easy to get rid of because sometimes this is a matter of debating. So one person owes a position, you own another. Why not take on the other person's position? Why not accept their position and let your position not be known? Just to get rid of the conflict. There are some things you have to do sometimes to get rid of conflict. And sometimes it may mean you have to say no to what you think is what should be done. Say no to it. Put your own idea. Put your own opinion aside. Put it aside and go and embrace that which the other person is putting forward. Sometimes that's what is needed. Because a lot of these conflicts, my friends, is coming not from things that are morally wrong or spiritually wrong. It's coming from mere opinions. Things that are based on opinions. My belief concerning a matter does not make it right. Your belief on a matter doesn't make it right. Therefore, the conflict should not be because I may very well just put mine aside just to accept yours. Just so that there be no conflict. That's what Abraham did in the case of him and Lot. God gave him the land. He could say, this land is mine. Go find yourself another land. But he said, my brother, my brother let's not, let, let, let there be no conflict between us. Look upon the land. Anywhere in the land you want to go. Let's find a nice place and go. All the land was his. He could run him off. But he didn't do that. Emulations. Whether the source of your conflict is from emulations, jealousy against someone, envy, Jamaican call it bad mind. Whether it is from bad mind or whatever, if that is the source of the conflict, get rid of it. Whether it's on your part or not, get rid of it. Whether the source of your conflict is from wrath, get rid of it. The intense anger. With a passionate outburst. If that's a source of your conflict. Because you manifested wrath against someone. Go repent. Beg for forgiveness. Get rid of the conflict. If the source of your conflict is strife. My friends. Get rid of it. Those selfish ambitions. Throw them out the door. Sometimes these conflict my friends. Means that you go your separate ways. Just like in the case of Abraham and Lot. It may mean that you go your separate ways. Whatever may be necessary, my friends, do it. This is how far we have reached now in our studies. And these are the last works of the flesh that we have looked at. We have another five to look at. And as we go look forward to looking at these remaining five, let us embrace this truth from the word of God. That I must cast off the works of the flesh and I must walk in the spirit.
to stand firm, to stand fast. We must cast off all these conflicting works of the flesh. Doesn't matter whether they benefit us, yes or no. Doesn't matter whether they make us feel good or no. We must cast them off. It doesn't matter, my friends. But one thing is for sure. If we are going to stand firm and stand fast in our liberty, we must get rid of these works of the flesh. It is said that a rattlesnake, if cornered, will sometimes become so upset that it will bite itself. That is exactly what the harboring of hate and resentment against others is. A biting of oneself. We think that we are arming others in holding these grudges and hates, but the deeper arm is to ourselves. We only hurt ourselves, my friends, if we harbor these resentment and hateful feelings and outbursts. No one else gets hurt. We hurt ourselves physically, we hurt ourselves emotionally, and we hurt ourselves spiritually. Nothing is more devastating to us as harboring these works of the flesh. Nobody else gets hurt, only us. Consider that, my friends, the next time you face any of these works of the flesh, consider this, that nobody else gets hurt. I only hurt myself. Father, we thank you today for your goodness, your love, your mercy. Your mercy that I knew every morning. Your mercy that creates a new dawn for us every single day. A new opportunity, a new life, a new sheet, a new slate. Today, Father, may our lives write a new story on that new slate. May our actions write a beautiful story that praise your name. May our words pen a beautiful story that glorify you. And so today, Father, at the end of this day, we would have written a beautiful story that give glory and bring glory to your name. Help us, Lord, to stand firm, to stand fast in your liberty and to declare your truth throughout this earth. We give you thanks. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day, my friends. And do remember, God loves you, and I do too.